At this time, I would encourage our little ones to head out to Children's Church. For the rest of us, I encourage you to grab a seat. Joe Galloway told me that, that today has already been a great service, whether I preach well or not, and I think that was his end to say, make it short. <laughs> While I was on sabbatical, for those of you that don't know, I, I had the opportunity to take the month of July to reflect and reconnect and just to, to be encouraged in a lot of different ways. And while I was on sabbatical, one of the things I really wanted to do was reconnect with Jesus. And I know for some of you that makes a lot of sense, and for some of you may that, that may sound really weird and really foreign, but it is very easy to get so bogged down in doing church stuff, to, to doing all of the tasks and all of the duties and all of the things on the calendar and all the, the things on the to-do list, that you can kind of forget the person that you're serving. And so during the the month of July, I wanted to just kind of reconnect with the person of Jesus and really reconnect with who Jesus was. And as I did that, I I decided to really take time throughout the month of July and just for my own personal study, get into the gospel of Luke and just reconnect with my Savior and reconnect with, with the person that is Jesus. And as I was doing that, I started to notice some things that that Jesus did that, that I wanted to dive deeper into. And I'll give you an example of this. In Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 42, it says, When the day came, Jesus left and went to a secluded place, and the crowds were searching for him and came to him and tried to keep him from going away from them. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. And so he kept preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Later in Luke 8, verse 1, it says, Soon afterwards, he began going around from city and village to another, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God. We could find more passages in Luke and in certainly all of the other Gospels where there is this idea of Jesus was going out and he was proclaiming or he was preaching the kingdom of God. We see it in Luke, both Jesus proclaiming as well as him sending out the the 12 and the 70 to to go and to proclaim the kingdom of God. We hear similar language in the gospel of Matthew of of preaching the the gospel of the kingdom or the kingdom of heaven. And I I got to thinking to myself, like, what, what is this? When it says that Jesus was going from village to village to proclaim the kingdom of God, to preach the kingdom of God, or that, he was, that, that, that this was the reason why he had come was to preach the kingdom of God, and we realize that this was his message and this was his purpose for coming, this is what he came to do, we have to ask ourselves, what is this? What is this good news? What is this this thing, this message about the kingdom of God that he was proclaiming? And and in fact, something that was so important to him that, that he made a point of going from village to village, from town to town to do so, and even telling his disciples, this is why I came. If we're honest with ourselves, this is this this concept or this idea about the the gospel of the kingdom of God or the message of the kingdom of God of preaching and proclaiming the kingdom of God has kind of fallen into what I like to call church talk. 
which means we say these things and we don't know what they mean. And so when we read our Bibles and we get to this, it says, and he went from village to village uh, proclaiming the kingdom of God. And we go, that's nice. And then we move on to other things. And we don't take time to think about what is this? And so I began to, to pour over the, the scriptures and it began to go to other gospels and other things within the, the New Testament and, and throughout the Bible to get some sort of concept of what Jesus was talking about when it says that he was proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. And perhaps the best answer to that question is actually found in Mark chapter 1. Now, it has been a while since we have been in the Gospel of Mark, but I know we spent a significant amount of time in the Gospel of Mark. And so hopefully you will humor me for just a moment as we revisit a passage that we studied months ago. And turn with me to Mark chapter 1, and I want to look at verses 14 and 15. If you are able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. So the gospel according to Mark, chapter 1, starting verse 14, we read this. It says, Now after John, this is John the Baptist, had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. You may be seated. So I want to look at this. This is going to be our framework of what Jesus was proclaiming. And make no mistake, this is still probably a very, a very uh, shortened, a summation of a much larger message. If we, we kind of want to get an idea of what this larger message might be, we might look at like the Sermon on the Mound and, and, and all that is said in there. But, but as far as really clarifying what is this gospel of the kingdom of God? What is this good news that Jesus had to proclaim, had to go from village to village, from town to town proclaiming? I think that Mark 14 and 15 really begin to show us and reveal to us what Jesus was trying to communicate. First thing we should notice from this passage is the statement that the kingdom of God is here. He says the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, that's a, again, we got to kind of think about what we're reading sometimes because we kind of think about it and we don't necessarily really pour into it. And so when, when Jesus says the time is here and the kingdom of God is at hand, we may still think that means it's a little ways away. Like well, it's at hand, like, like we're thinking like Christmas Eve versus Christmas. Like, oh, like when you say, oh, Christmas is almost here. That means it's not here, but it's close to being here. But that's not actually what the word that, that, that the kingdom of God is at hand meant. What it meant was it was this cool word that meant that it was that it was as close as it was going to get. Like it was it was there. It had it. I, the, I think a word that really defines it well for us today is it has arrived. That the time is he, the time has come and the kingdom of God has arrived. See, the first part of the gospel of the kingdom of God is that the kingdom of God has come. It has arrived to the people. And that is really a much bigger deal than we necessarily may think about, especially when we begin to think about all of the ways that, that people were, were understanding what the kingdom of God was and what faith was at this time. 
See, we, we get some confirmation about this is what Jesus meant, that the kingdom of God had arrived when we think about like what John the Baptist was saying by contrasting what, what uh, Jesus was saying. Because, you know, John the Baptist, what he would say is he was saying that the kingdom of God is coming. And, and he even went on, if we can go back a few verses in, in Mark 1, you can go back and, and look for just a second when they were asking like, hey, John, who are you? And he'd say, I'm, I'm not the Messiah. He goes, well, I'm the, the one before him, the, the voice in the wilderness crying out, but there is one who is coming. He is on his way, who is after me, who is greater than me. And now John the Baptist has been arrested and, and, and he is in, in prison and Jesus comes and he's saying, hey, the kingdom of God is here. So what was coming is now arrived. And the reality was, is they were talking about the same thing, and that was Jesus. Jesus was telling them that the king, the sovereign ruler of the kingdom of God, had arrived and was indeed in their midst. So the good news of the gospel was, began with, Jesus is here. In fact, when all is said and done, we can go all the way to John chapter 18, and Jesus is standing before Pilate. And Pilate said to him, he said, so are you the king? And Jesus answered, you say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. So as Jesus is going around and he is preaching the good news of the gospel that the kingdom of God has arrived, what he is telling them is, I'm here. The king of kings and the Lord of lords has arrived. And that, guys, is is just mind-blowing if you stop and think about it for just a second. Because let's think about the way religion works in our world today. And if we think about religion, just as a, as a big blanket concept in our world today, religion generally says that God, whatever that God is, or God, God's whatever, that they are where? Way up there. And religion is all the things that we have to do so that we might get to go way up there. Right? Everybody agree with that for the most part? So in, 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 even in Jewish understanding by this time, God was something way up there and we have to follow all of these rules. And if we follow all of those rules, maybe we'll do a good enough job that we too can go way up there. But the message of the gospel of the kingdom of God is not that the kingdom of God is way up there, but that the kingdom of God has arrived. And it was in their midst and that it stood before them in the person of Jesus Christ. And so the good news of the gospel was not that we have to get up there to God, but rather that God came down to us. I get goosebumps just thinking about it. These people thought that God was far away that he was in a temple or on a mountain or somewhere in the heavens. But the reality was, is he was standing there in their midst, dwelling among them. He was the real live personification of the name Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
And this good news is true for us today as much as it was there. It is not that you have to do all the things to earn your way to get to heaven, to earn your way into a right relationship with God, to earn your way into the the, the presence of God, but rather that heaven came down, that God came down to you and he made a way through the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, I can say with confidence even now, that as we are gathered together, He is in our midst. But if God had come to them, and He most certainly had through Jesus Christ, what were they supposed to do? So if we look back into the passage, it says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is, has arrived. It is, in your, it's, it, it is at hand. Therefore, repent and believe in the gospel. The first thing that we are called to do in response to this good news that the kingdom of God has arrived is repent. And I am sure we've heard it many times, but I think it is very true. This is a statement that gets way too much problems in our world. See, the word repent is one that, that, that churches today have done one of two things with. Not all of them, but a lot of them. Either the first thing they do is they just overlook it. We just, we just don't even include that in the conversation. And there are, are, are thousands upon thousands of churches that the word repent never shows up in their vocabulary. It's true. But the other thing is, is we take it way too far and we turn repentance into this, this lording over it type of thing where you have, to, you have to repent to a person and you have to repent to a priest and you have to repent everything, every time, all the time, or you're in jeopardy. And it gets to the point that the idea of repentance has become so burdensome and, and, and so, such a frightening thing to have to deal with and, such a, and a thing that the church uses to control that we learn to resent it. But neither of these things are a good representation of what the word repentance means. I think one of the, the biggest problems with repentance in the, in the church today is that we have associated repentance with the idea of getting your life back on track. There is an idea here that we have to hear the gospel and then we have to perform a certain set of duties in order to get our life back on track, that we have to jump through a certain amount of hoops to prove to God and the church that we are serious about what we are doing in order to be saved. Like we have to hear the gospel and then we have to get a haircut. Or we have to hear a gospel and then we have to go buy a pair of khaki pants and a polo. Don't ignore how I'm dressed this morning. Or we, we, ha- we have to get our life with God, or we have to, to hear the gospel, but then we have to quit drinking or, or smoking or cursing or, or chewing or, or whatever other bad habits you guys have out there. And if once you get all that stuff organized, then you can come to Jesus. But I'm here to tell you that if this were true, if this idea of when Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand, therefore repent and believe in the gospel, if repentance men get your life back on track, then this is not good news at all. In fact, if we're really honest with ourselves for a moment, if the idea here that Jesus was saying is you need to fix your life before you can go to God, then everyone in this room is in deep, deep trouble. 
Because I may have a nice shiny head and I may be wearing a nice polo and I may sound like I know what I'm talking about up here, but my life is not on track with God. And there are so many ways that I look at my own life and recognize where there is still sin lingering and sinful attitudes and sinful responses. My life is not on track. See, if the good news of the gospel is you have to get good news, you have to, if the good news of the gospel is that you have to get your life in order before you can be saved, then it's not good news. And we are all damned. Repentance does not mean obedience. See, obedience comes later. Obedience comes after God has done a work in your life. Obedience comes after you have given your life to Jesus and and, and that you have been filled and empowered with the Holy Spirit. But obedience is not in repentance. So let's ask the question, what is repentance? And I want to answer that by going to the passage in Scripture that deals with repentance the most thoroughly, and that's actually Luke 15. See, in Luke 15, it starts off, Luke 15 starts off with there being these Pharisees who were really angry with Jesus because he hung out with sinners and, and tax collectors. He, he, ran out with, he ran around with bad people. And it wasn't that he ran around with them. Let me kind of clear that up. He let them come to him. As he was teaching, as he was discipling people, as he was doing his thing, as he was doing ministry, these people that were labeled as sinners and bad people in society were coming to hear what he had to say and coming to listen and to learn from him. And there was Pharisees that were mad that Jesus would even allow it. He wanted to, they wanted to say, no, these are bad people and bad people shouldn't get to hear good news. It makes me shudder to think that we might have churches today that say the same thing. And these bad people came to to hear this good news and the Pharisees were scoffing at it. And Jesus begins to tell multiple stories. He talks about a, uh, a sheep. He talks about a lost coin. And he talks about a lost son, a prodigal son. And in every one, it's about, it all revolves around repentance and the joy that comes with repentance. But in the last story, in the story of the prodigal son, we get a little bit deeper dive into what repentance looks like. And that's what I want us to look at this morning. And it's in Luke 15, verses 17 through 19. And in talking about the prodigal son, in this story it says this, But when he, this is the prodigal son, came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread? But I am dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. I want you to think about this. This is the moment of repentance in the life of the prodigal son. This this thought process right here, I want you to think about this. The son at this point has not got his life together. He is still in a farm, in a foreign land, working for someone among the pigs. He has not taken a single step towards his father. He has not proven anything to anyone. He has not changed his clothes. He has not washed his hair. He is still a stinky, dirty pig sl- farmer, pig slave. But he has come to a place where, as the passage says, and I love this, where it says, he has come to his senses. All that he did was recognize where he was 
and that where he was would mean certain death. Look again at the passage. He says, I am dying here with hunger. He recognized where he was and where, he, where it would end, that it would end in death. And not only did he recognize that, but he wanted to change. This is repentance. Repentance is realizing, recognizing, admitting that where you are in your sin means certain death. And then coming to the conclusion that you do not want that, but you want something else for your life. We are calling people to see that where they are means spiritual death. And we are inviting them into life, life with the Father, specifically through Christ Jesus. This is the call to repentance. And we have to still give it. We have to still tell people that, that, that when they say, what must I do to be saved? What, is I, what do I have to do to be in a right relationship with God? We have to look at them and say, first off, you have to recognize that where you are now means certain death. And you have to see that, and then you have to decide that that's not what you want for your eternity. And when you're ready for something besides that, when you're ready for not death, for not spiritual death, for not an eternity separated from God, but you want something else, you want life, I can point you to that life, and that life is found in Christ Jesus. This leads us to the last part of the message. He says, he says, the kingdom of God is here. It is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Believe in what? The gospel. What is the gospel? It's good news. What is the good news about? The kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God again? Jesus. See, we're not actually being invited to believe in a what. We're invited to believe in a who. And again, I don't think there's a better place that this is explained than John chapter 3. In John 3, starting in verse 14, we read this. He says he's speaking to Nicodemus who has come to him. And remember, this all started with Jesus saying to Nicodemus, you, you must be born again. Picking up in 14, it says, as Moses was lifted up, excuse me, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. And he who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. When Jesus tells the people, believe the good news, believe the gospel, he is inviting them to a place, to, he is inviting them to place their hope and trust in him as their Messiah, as their Lord, and as their Savior. I want to take a step back. From this unpacking for just a moment. I want you to think about this for just a second. Jesus came with a message. And that message that, that he came with, that was a message that was so important that he had to tell people, no matter how popular he got and how probably how much they wanted to do for him, he had to say, no, 
I have to go tell this news everywhere. I have to go from village to village, from town to town. I have to go so that all of Galilee and all of Judea and and eventually all of the world will hear the message that I have. Now, let me ask you this. If that was Jesus' message, this was the thing that no matter what he said, no matter where he went, he had to make sure that this got communicated. Should we listen? Hopefully. Should we understand that message? Should we take hold of that message? I hope so. So let's think about this. This is the good news of the gospel for you today. God has come to us. He has come to us through the perfect, through the, the person and the work of Jesus Christ. This Jesus was God in the flesh. God the Son. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for your sins and for mine, and he rose from the grave three days later. Jesus came, and Jesus did it all. And he is calling you to repent, to see where you are, to see your lostness, to understand that you are far from God, and if you remain in that state, that you will die far from God and you will stay dead. And he is calling you to make a change in your mind and to choose to live and to live by placing your faith, by believing in the message of Jesus, by believing that Jesus is everything he said he is. And in believing, surrender your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. This was his message. It is what he wanted every village to hear And it is the message that he has entrusted us to go and to proclaim today. If you are in this room and you have not made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, if you have not received the good news of the kingdom of God, we invite you today to repent and to believe. If you are here today and you would say, I have done that, I have received this, I believe in Jesus, I believe that He alone is what makes me right with God and I have placed my hope and trust in Him, then I challenge you today, this is our message. See, this was His message, but now this is our message. John 20, 21, I quote it often because I love it. And it says, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. So if you remember back in Matthew 4, he said, for this is the reason that my father sent me. So just real quick, I'm not good at math, but I think there's a little math here. If God sent Jesus to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God, and now Jesus has sent us to do the same thing that God sent him, then that would imply that God is now sending us to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. And here's the best news. Nobody gets a pass. And that's good news for me because I know that our excuses don't hold up. Now, unfortunately, my excuses don't hold up either. But we have a message. We know what our message is. 
And we know that God has sent us to proclaim that message. What are you going to do with this message today? I hope football hasn't already started. What are you going to do with this message today? Do you need to receive it? To pass from death to life through Christ Jesus and surrender your life to Jesus? Or do you need to proclaim it? And are there people in your life who desperately need to hear that there is good news and that good news is in the kingdom of God? Let's pray. My God, my exceeding joy. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. And God, I just am so encouraged by this. God, I think it is so easy for us as as followers of Jesus or even us that are just churchgoers that maybe have never really become a follower of Jesus to forget what the message was. And God, we can turn the message into doing good deeds, uh, feeding the poor, being nice people, promoting conservative family values or whatever it might be, God. And we forget that the message, that the good news of the gospel, that the message that you gave Christ and Christ gave us is that God has come. And that Jesus came to save us through the cross and the resurrection. And that we are called to make a change to recognize where we are and to want something else and to surrender our life to Jesus. God, I pray that if there's anyone in this room that is that that thought that they are in that they're good with you because they attend a church, because they put money in the 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 offering plate, because they do good things. Lord, I pray that now they're coming to just the truth that the the message of the gospel is not do good, but the message of the gospel is that Jesus did all the good and that they need to place their hope and trust in him. God, for the rest of us, I pray that we would take this message to people. Lord, how badly does our world need to hear the good news? And it breaks my heart because I look at the world and, and, I, and I'm afraid that there are so many Christians out there that, that don't even have somebody that, that in their life that is lost that they can share the gospel with because we've become so, so isolated and, and so set up into our own little friend groups, and our own little communities that we have no one to share Christ with. And because of that, there are people even here in Elizabethtown, Kentucky, in Hardin County, that will be born, that will live, and that will die, and no one will ever share the good news of the kingdom of God with them. Lord, I pray that you will light a fire in this church and that we will decide that that is completely unacceptable. And God, I pray that we will go certainly to the nations, But God, I think we just need to go to the nations that surround this building and that we will share Christ and that we will see people come to Christ. God, we know that we don't save anybody, but that you do it all. And so God, we lift this up to you. Lord, for those in the room that need to get saved, I pray today is the day that they do it. Lord, for those of us that need to go and and to give this good news to someone else so that they might believe and be saved, Lord, I pray that we would take it now. And God, we trust you as the Lord of the harvest. And we rejoice with you like we are already rejoicing today. God, we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.